Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls on this week's episode. It's going to be a little bit of a lighter episode, but still in store for a good one. We have a mail sack. We also have a preview of the conference championship week in the NFL. A few more discussions about some potential head coaching updates as well. That is going to be coming in the mail sack, uh, thanks to one of our listeners asking a good question. And then we also have a preview of the bigger games in college basketball coming up this week. And we also, since we're locally located in in Louisville, it would feel only right to mention uh, about the ousting of Chris Mack as the head basketball coach of the Louisville Cardinals. We will get to all that later on. Right now, without further ado, let's get right into the mail sack. Our first question on this week's mail sack comes from Ali Stevens who asks, is Aaron Rodgers going to the Steel City? It is official. Ben Roethlisberger has officially retired today. So there is going to be an opening in Pittsburgh at the quarterback position. They already have two guys on the roster, Mason Rudolph. We've sort of seen what he's been when he's given the chance I think a below average NFL quarterback. And then Dwayne Haskins, a bit of an unknown. His time in Washington was not great. Ended poorly. Never really felt like there was a lot of support from Ron Rivera there because it wasn't his guy. But again, didn't perform as well as he should have given what he showed in college and then his draft position. Sort of took this year as a learning experience, a learn from Big Ben. It'll be interesting to see what they do at the quarterback position there with those two guys there. Out of those two, I would say probably there's more of an intangible type thing going around Dwayne Haskins that I would feel better if those were going to be my two options to do that. Um, A lot of people are saying maybe they trade up in this year's NFL draft and go with Kenny Pickett, the guy from Pittsburgh, have that hometown sort of feel. I'd be interested to see them doing that. I could also see them maybe... Again, no fan base wants to hear this, but maybe as like a bridge gap year type thing uh, where they bring in somebody that isn't they know isn't probably going to be that long-term type guy, and then they wait. Because I do think this draft class quarterback-wise is a little eh. Maybe they do that for this bridge year. They wait uh, till next year's draft when more than likely it's going to be Bryce Young, it's going to be CJ Stroud on top of a ton of other guys there that are going to be available. So it would be interesting to see what they do. A name that I think is extremely interesting um, and could probably do a lot of the same things he's doing now is if the 49ers are going to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo and that is still their stance so far, I think Pittsburgh needs to make a call. I think Garoppolo, the weapons there... 
a little bit in Pittsburgh. They lose Juju Smith this offseason more than likely. He returns this year on that one-year deal, but that's up at the end of this year. But you still have Claypool. You still have Johnson. You still have Firemuth. You still have Najee Harris. You still have a very good defense. It's sort of like a light version of what the 49ers have as well. Understand they run different schemes and everything. But I still think Garoppolo could come and have a smooth transition to success to where Pittsburgh isn't totally falling off a cliff um, without Roethlisberger there at quarterback. To answer your original question, I do not think Aaron Rodgers goes to Pittsburgh. I think he wants a team that he's going to have like some say and some control over, and I don't know if Tomlin is going to be the type of guy to do that, if the owners of the Steelers are going to be the type of people to do that or anything. I think the most logical place, and it's been floated since last year when he was asking for trade rumors and everything, was the Denver Broncos. That even becomes, that speculation uh, becomes even greater today just because they hire uh, the Hackett the Packers OC uh, from last year, it makes a ton of sense to see Rodgers go there. He knows the system already that they're going to run. Him and Elway, I imagine Elway will probably be open to the idea of like Rodgers having some say and input. We've seen success with the Broncos already doing this where there's an aging quarterback that comes there and ends his career there with Peyton Manning and they build a good team around him. They've got a solid offensive line, two pretty good backs, and I think Williams out of that backfield uh, could be a top 10 running back here sooner than later. They have some pieces at wide receiver with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Patrick if they go out and they sign somebody. If they were to go and get Adams, um, if the Packers don't franchise tag them, then there's a ton of possibilities. I think right now that's the most likely scenario and not Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh needs to figure out what they're doing, either if they're going to take somebody in this draft or if they're going to go on that bridge year type thing, or if neither of those two are appealing to them, I do think they need to reach out to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo. The next question comes from Abby Herring, who asks, Would you rather be deserted for a month in the Sahara Desert or the Arctic Tundra? So, I'm a bit of a prisoner of the moment here right now. It's been kind of cold in uh, Louisville these last couple days, and I've absolutely hated it. Um, I know there's that old saying, like, oh, would you rather be hot or would you rather be too cold? Like, oh, I can always put on more bundles of jackets and clothing and everything like that when I'm cold, but when I'm, like, shirt and T-shirt or tank top or swimsuit or whatever, I can't take any more off, so I guess I'd rather be cold. Um, I think I would probably... I guess I would probably do the Tundra just because of water... Like, the Sahara Desert, I'm not going to be around any water at all, basically. Um, the Tundra, I'll have snow. There's water there. I can use that to hydrate a little bit. But I, if I was deserted in either of those two, I do not think my chances of survival are very high. I'm probably packing it in probably after two days. Like, I'm not going to do well in either of those environments. But out of the two, um, probably the Arctic Tundra. Moving on, our next question comes from Jared Henley, who asks, first time, long time, 
Jared, I appreciate you reaching out. Thank you. If you could get five free rounds of golf anywhere in the world, money and travel is no issue. Where are you playing them? I think the obvious number one for a lot of people is going to be um, at Augusta National where they have the Masters. That's right up there. I would also do Tobacco Road. That up to this point is my number one like favorite golf course that I have ever played. Um, I would also probably do Terra Edie down um, in New Zealand, New Zealand or Australia. I would do something like that just because there's no chance. Like, am I? There is a chance, but I cannot imagine a scenario that is going to get me over there to actually go do that. So I think that would be very cool and a good opportunity. Um, so that's three. Number four. Uh, I want to do Pasa Tiempo. That one's a little bit more realistic, but um, if travel money issue, no big deal at all, then I'd love to go there because everything I've seen on the place, um, on television and on podcasts and YouTube series, it looks incredible and everybody raves about it, so I would like to do that. And then my fifth option, at this moment right now, it's Landman, uh, Collins's new course, the designer and architect of Sweetens Cove, his new course out in Nebraska. I'd like to go there um, because I I like what he did, Sweetens Cove. I think with him and 18 holes and just the amount of land he gets to use it would be extremely um, impressive to see. So those would be my five. St. Andrews, I know, is up there as well. That would be something, um, again, probably not ever going to go do that. But that I'd like to have that somewhere on the list. Maybe you could have a rotating of a Terry Ed and a, a St. Andrews. But regardless, those would be my five. Um, and then Jared also asked, also, who should have UVL hire as their next head coach? Jared, I think Kenny Payne is a fantastic option for you all. Bruce Pearl um, is using you all. I know that that sort of that storyline sort of already been played out um, already with the news of today, Pearl going on a podcast and getting asked about U of L, but uh, and then he denying it, not really denying it, but not giving a yes or no answer, and then already there's discussions and reports that Auburn is willing to give in to Pearl's demands, which he's looking for a new practice facility only for the basketball team and probably a pay raise for himself. Um, it appears that he is just using U of L to get some incentives and some more money down at Auburn, which I think is the case. Kenny Payne's up there. Um, Musselman, potentially, from Arkansas. I understand Arkansas isn't doing anything great this year, but they had a very good team last year in the NCAA tournament. Good with getting guys from the portal and everything, and that is a big thing in today's game. We know that, obviously, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think any of those guys, it's probably not going to happen, and it is probably severely down the list of when it gets here, though. Um, But Jeff Bowles at Ohio... He has no Louisville connection. He was an Ohio State assistant, um, ran the offense for Thad Motto when he was there. He went to Stony Brook. Now he's at Ohio, made some noise with Ohio in the tournament last year or the year before that. Um, I have no clue what his desires are as a coach, and I totally understand, like, you probably need 
a bit of an upgrade from, like, you probably cannot go from just Stony Brook, Ohio to U of L, but I think he's going to be a great coach, and he's probably not going to get this job, but I think an under the radar type guy that just want to throw his name out there because I do think he's poised for um, a head coaching job here at some point at maybe a mid, not a mid major, but a low-tier Power 5 school that he can make some noise at and maybe uh, one day aspire to be a Louisville coach. But I think Musselman, Payne, um, and a couple other guys there as well. I appreciate you asking the question, Jared. Uh, our next question, again, I'm kind of sick of this whole bit, but Polly Marino asks, do you think Goff watches Rams games? If so, do you think he boos? I don't think he boos, but he probably um, does harbor some ill will towards them, so he probably is not upset if they struggle or if they are losing. Um, I'm done answering those type of questions. Uh, our next question comes from Evan Deaver. What are the three most important factors for the Bengals to pull off the upset in Arrowhead? We need to protect Joe Burrow. I understand that doesn't really... If you would look at the last game and how that went with the Titans getting nine sacks and the Bengals still ending up winning, I get that doesn't... It might not correlate or seem that it has any relation to them winning, but in this game... It definitely does because you can't be giving up sacks. You can't be having drive killers against an offense that is as extremely potent as um, the Chiefs are. Second, I think going back and looking at the success of the first game, Mixon was sort of – he was there, but he wasn't like crazily featured or anything. I think a 1-2 here is – you need to get him involved a little bit and hopefully provide some stability to where Burrow doesn't have to go throw for throw with uh, Patrick Mahomes, which I think he's he's obviously not as good as Patrick Mahomes, but he is one of the better quarterbacks. At, if you were just like, go sling it around for four quarters, I think Joe Burrow would fare him well, but it would be nice for them to have some type of stability with the run game so getting Mixon involved and then I don't know if Chase is going to go off like he did the first game and have three touchdowns but he's going to have to have another big game so pair the one two for them together at number two and then number three you have to get the secondary you got to take somebody away whether that's again easier said than done the first game um Tyreek Hill only had 60 yards um, if you can do something like that again with either Kelsey or Hill, then I think they have a decent chance. Um, I do think it is going to take all three of those things to win this game, and I know that's asking a lot. That's almost like playing the perfect game, but I do think if the Bengals are going to win, those are the type of things that they have to do. Um, our next question comes from Jack Muldoon. Top three months of the year. I am going to go with October Love October. Um, perfect month. It's cold, but it's not too cold just yet. Um, you can get away with the shorts and hoodie weather, which is just that's perfect. There's college football on. Um, absolutely love it. There's Halloween there. Um, parties galore there. Just absolutely love that. I would also say May, start of summer, derby, um, now this year forecastle that month um a lot of fun stuff there and then i don't know about the third one let's go with 
I'll go with September. Um, NFL starts. It's the beginning of fall. Um, good, good month for golf um, where it's not too hot, not too cold. As I said, NFL starts. So I would go probably October, May, September. Those are my top three right there. Our next question comes from Kennedy Poston who asks, Bengals to the Super Bowl? Kennedy, um, I'm going to give you and everyone else listening a little spoiler for the breakdown of the game that I'm going to be giving. But in the end, no. They will not make the Super Bowl, unfortunately. But a hell of a year, but they will not make the Super Bowl. Our next two, our next three, excuse me, I cannot count today, comes from Michael Bennett. NFL overtime rules need to be changed. Agree, disagree, any solutions? I do think they need to be changed. There are a ton of different methods and ways you can go about doing that. A lot of people favor the college overtime rules. I have no problem with that if they were to change it to that. After the... Bills and the Chiefs game, uh, Mina Kimes put out an article um, from, I believe it was 2018. She didn't write it, but she retweeted an article about the spot and distance to go idea that the Ravens were going to propose in 2018 when there were other conversations about this changing. And I had never heard of this. I never thought of this, but it was an extremely unique and I like the idea of the way it goes so say it's the Bills and the Chiefs playing again the Bills are the visiting team the Chiefs are the home team so the Bills call it so they call Bills call it it's incorrect the Chiefs would get to choose whether um, they go where they put the ball at I believe or they get to choose where if they're on offense or defense. And then whichever one they choose, the Bills, on the other hand, get to decide um, the opposite. So whichever one they would choose, they go the opposite way. So say it goes, Bills lose, Chiefs choose, okay, we're going to go on offense. So the Bills get to choose where that Chiefs overtime possession starts. So they can go, oh, we start it from the one yard line, things like that. I think that's an extremely interesting way. And then it would carry on like regular NFL playoff, uh, excuse me, NFL overtime rules. I think that was extremely interesting. And I like that idea a lot um, because it brings into a ton of different factors of, well, how much do we trust our offense? How much do we trust our defense? Things like that. Um, I like that idea. If they do change it, the sooner, the better, that's fine. There's people out there, oh, well, you don't want to lose the game, stop them. Grow up. Absolutely grow up. Um, If the college can get it right, I don't see why the NFL can't get their head out of their ass and have just some way where both teams are touching the ball in overtime. Next question from Mike Bennett is, should Barry Bonds be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely Um, I understand the whole issue with steroids and everything like that, but fuck it. Not even just Barry Bonds. Like Roger Clemens, anybody else, and again, David Ortiz, he had his run-in with PEDs, uh, but it was proven it was a little inconclusive, the test, whatever, whatever. Um, Alex Rodriguez, it'll be interesting to see how he gets handled since he had a whole year of suspension for popping for PEDs. I do not care. Like, it is 
so infuriating for these baseball writers to just get on their high horse and say, oh, well, you use steroids, so we can't do it. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa single-handedly, both of them, save baseball in popularity with their arms race with the home run race. Like, and I get they do, they did steroids. I do not care. Um, I don't think the game is in the position that it is now without those two. It's certainly not seen a better home run hitter or just hitter period, um, I believe, than Barry Bonds. And his and there's just endless amounts of stats out there that are mind blowing and just support the case that Bonds should be a Hall of Famer. And yet, because he did PEDs in a time when a ton of people were, he was just doing it the best. Um, he's not in. He should be in. He's not going to be in. Uh, his ten-year window closed. But honestly, who gives a shit? Like, I understand. Like, that's a designation and everything. Like, oh, he's a Hall of Famer. But Barry Bonds is going to be remembered as one of the best home run hitters and baseball players ever. So, who gives a shit? Uh, Mike's last question is: If the Bills squib kick it, do they win the game? Um, I think. Hmm. So they squib kick it. I wonder. I wonder what Andy Reid's coaching style, what he proposes and suggests the players to do. Whether they try and run it back, or if they fall down, so the offense can have more time. I would say probably not. I could honestly say, like, say they squib it and it gets to, like, the Chiefs 30. Um, I would coach the team, guys fall down, they get those extra 10 yards, and then, what, they just run the same two plays they did, and they still get in field goal range. I understand that's, like, the chances of that happening once are extremely difficult and like astronomical but in this whole scenario you give them those extra 10 15 yards with the squib kick hopefully they don't just run out a ton of time um and there's still time for the two plays before the field goal to tie it I still think the Chiefs end up tying that game even if they do squib it just because of the way the Bills were playing the prevent defense and everything leaving the middle open and everything uh yeah, I still think the Chiefs end up winning. And then our last question for this edition of the Mail, Cow- Mail Sack comes from Zach Maddenly. Who is your pick to win the Masters? Um, recording this as I am watching the Farmers Insurance Open. And my one, two, and three picks, um, two of them are here. The third is over in Abu Dhabi at the moment. But John Rahm. How could you not pick him? Even right now, I know the Masters is a bit away, but even if he just regresses a little bit, because I understand these like heaters are extremely hard to stay on, but he's been on one for, I mean, shit, eight, nine months at this point. Sort of 2020 DJ vibes when he goes and he culminates that by boat racing everybody in the Masters. Maybe that's Rom's final, like, his last stand, and then he sort of regresses and everything like that. Uh, but Rom's up there. Justin Thomas is up there in the two tournaments he's played in. He's been pretty good. The putter's been bothering him um, late last year. Well, basically a lot of last year. Um, but if he can figure that out, 
He's obviously one of the best. And then Victor Hovland, he, not to the scale that John Rahm had, but the second half of the year and that false swing and then the, like, hero challenge stuff that he did, um, he's been playing extremely well. It'll be interesting to see how often he comes back over um, his schedule-wise going up until the Masters and every, everything, whether he's going to play how many European events he's going to play, but uh, I think Victor has a really good chance. And because I said those three, they will probably um, not even be anywhere near contention or anything like that. But uh, just right now, those three, I think, are the standouts. And I can, Colin Morikawa, um, his game, you think he's probably going to check that off at some point with uh, how good he is. I don't know if that comes this year. Maybe a little bit more experience is necessary there at Augusta. But, uh, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable. I'll throw Colin in there. Any of those four. You give me any of those four or just those four against the field, I feel pretty good. But, again, who had Hideki winning last year? I'm Not me. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But looking forward to that, obviously, as it draws near. That is going to do it for this edition's, uh, this episode's edition of the Mail Sack. Excuse me, as I always do. Thank you so much to all of the people, the listeners that sent in questions. That segment is impossible without you all, so it is truly appreciated and it helped me out a lot, especially these last couple weeks when the content um, otherwise has been a little bit light. So. Thank you very much. Let's us now shift focus to conference championship week in the NFL. The first game we are going to look at in conference championship week is the AFC championship. The Kansas City Chiefs, the two seed going up against the Cincinnati Bengals on a bit of a Cinderella run going through the Raiders, then upsetting the number one seed Tennessee Titans in Tennessee. Defense really stepped up and played extremely well in that game, Um, really only getting gashed about twice by A.J. Brown, but turning Ryan Tannehill over a bunch, even on his first uh, pass, and then limiting the returning Derrick Henry to set up this matchup, a rematch of a late-season game where the Bengals had a little bit more to play for than the Chiefs, but it was not like the Chiefs were mailing it in or anything. There was a ton of late-game, just head-scratching decisions that by Zach Taylor that if they did not end up winning, you probably would have looked back at this and said, what in the hell is going on? But since they did win, those issues were covered up. But in that game, the Bengals do win that matchup 34-31. to Joe Burrow accumulated 446 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Joe Mixon, a bit of a non-factor with 12 carries for 46 yards. And as I mentioned, answering Deaver's question earlier, Jamar Chase, went off in that game. 11 catches, 266 yards, and three touchdowns. Um, For the Chiefs, I was going to talk a little bit about Jamar Chase, but I'll get to the Chiefs, what they did. In that game, Patrick Mahomes, only 259 yards and two touchdowns. Williams on the ground went for 88 yards and two touchdowns. And then Miko Hardman was the leading receiver with 50 
three yards total. As I had mentioned, I feel like in that game, um, Tyreek Hill only had 40 yards. Excuse me, Diva. Earlier I said he had 60. He had six catches, not 60 yards. Um, but Michael Hardman, the leading receiver, Tyreek Hill, six receptions. You go on down, Travis Kelsey only had five catches for 25 yards. He did have a touchdown in that game, though, but sort of those two guys were non-factors. For the Bengals to win this game, I don't know if Joe Burrow needs to go and throw for 400 yards again and four touchdowns, and if Jamar Chase has to go like totally crazy like that with over 200 yards and three receptions, but they both have to play near-perfect games. I don't know if they're capable of doing that just yet. Um, it's in Arrowhead. If that factors into it at all, I think it does a little bit. Um, Burrow came out earlier and said, well, I played in the SEC. I played in all these big stadiums. Arrowhead, that's absolutely no big deal, whatever. Again, whether you want to believe that or not, I think Arrowhead is a tough place to play in the NFL. So I do think that can factor into it a little bit. What is concerning for Chiefs fans, I think, has to be um, if Gabriel Davis can go and get four touchdowns against our secondary. No offense to him at all, but uh, Jamar Chase, I think, is much better than what Davis is. Um, What is stopping him from going and having a repeat performance um, from their matchup earlier on in the year? Like, If they couldn't stop Davis and he goes and gets four touchdowns, why can't Chase have another ridiculous performance against them? Um, it'll be interesting to see um, Tyron Matthews' status. He practiced today, um, so I would imagine that he does end up playing. That's going to be extremely imperative, uh, helping cover Chase or Higgins or Boyd. Um, Higgins has been a little quiet um, in these playoffs, I think. Um, obviously, Chase is their number one guy and Joe's favorite target we get that but um going back the Raiders game he only had one catch for 10 yards and then going back to the Titans game last week he only ends up with let me go and double check Higgins ends up with seven catches and 96 yards. So, excuse me, he did have a big game last week. I think he's going to be imperative as well. I think he needs to have a big game because if they are trying to just take away Chase and make Joe beat them with Uzama and Higgins and Boyd, one of those three is going to have to step up, and more than likely it would be Higgins. And I mentioned earlier, I do think there needs to be some semblance of a running game and get Mixon involved in the run game, the passing game as well. I think he can be um, a matchup issue as well, getting him in open space. Um, The Chiefs right now, again, both of these teams, it's their defenses that are the big problem. Um... There's both teams secondaries are not great. Um, I know that the Bengals were able to turn over Ryan Tannehill a bunch last week, but um, it's Ryan Tannehill, and this week you're playing the best quarterback in the NFL. I think both of these offenses are going to be able to cause just headaches for each team's defense, and then ultimately I think when at the end if there is a needed big like defensive stand that needs to happen 
And on top of it being in Kansas City, I do think the Chiefs end up winning. I think the offensive line for the Bengals can be a bit of an issue in this one. I do have the Chiefs winning right now. The Sp- I'm not going to give like a pick against or anything. Right now, it's seven. I could see them covering that seven, but just straight out outright, I do think the Chiefs end up winning this game. Moving on now to the NFC, Um, the third time these two teams have met, the 49ers and the Rams going back and looking at it at the um, middle part, whoops, excuse me, going and looking the middle part of the year, the 49ers go and they beat the Rams 31-10. In that game, Matthew Safford, abysmal, had to throw the ball 41 times, 243 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Garoppolo played a very Jimmy Garoppolo-esque type game in that, 182 yards and two touchdowns. And then the final week of the regular season, the 49ers end up winning again uh, in that game despite two interceptions from Jimmy Garoppolo, who throws a touchdown and then 316 yards. Matthew Stafford goes for 238 yards. Three touchdowns, but two interceptions. The 49ers um, came back in that game um, when they were down 17-0 to edge out the win late 27-24. Robbie Gold hit a field goal with uh, two minutes and 45 seconds left. In this game, both of these teams' defenses are extremely good. Um... Coming off of the games last week, you would probably say that the 49ers probably have a bit of an edge since they go and they don't let Aaron Rodgers throw a touchdown pass. They beat the Packers in Lambeau Um, in the previous game for the Rams. They end up kind of controlling and limiting uh, the Buccaneers all the way up until about the fourth quarter. Uh, Tom Brady, though, in that game, 329 yards, a touchdown, uh, one interception. Leonard Fournette, two touchdowns, 51 yards on the ground. Mike Evans in that game, 119 yards and one touchdown. Um, I get Debo Samuel isn't like Mike Evans, and he's not like Leonard Fournette running the ball either, but I think a combination of Debo at the backfield catching can obviously cause the Rams some problems. And then uh, Mitchell getting the ball as well out of the backfield I think can be an issue. It'll be very interesting to see who they put on Kittle to guard as well. I thought Kittle was going to be a very important figure for the 49ers to pull off the upset last week. He had a few catches and a few plays and everything like that, but nothing crazy as I thought he was going to. Um, with the Rams, I'm still imploring them to kind of lean a little bit on the two-slash-three-headed monster they have at running back with Cam Akers and with uh, Sony Michelle and then Henderson. Last week, just looking at the rushes and everything, they couldn't get anything going against Tampa Bay's front. Um, Cam Akers had 24 carries for 48 yards, uh, abysmal two-yard average. Um, and their second-leading sco- rusher was Van Jefferson with one carry for 15 yards. Sona Michelle only got a carry for four yards. Um, I would like to see them not – they didn't really abandon the run because, I mean, Akers got 24 of them. 
but his fumbling issues as well can maybe give light to Sony Michelle maybe getting a few more carries, and I do think using those two can help and alleviate some pressure on Stafford to where he doesn't feel like he has to make the superhuman throw on every like downfield shot or anything like that. Um, and then doing that, forcing the ball like that does lead to some of his costlier turnovers they've had this year. It's crazy that I think it's the last six games in a row. Uh, Sean McVay, the Rams have lost to Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Um, it's pretty hard to beat the same team three times in one year. And I think it's pretty hard to beat a team seven times in a row. So the prediction for this one, I do have the Rams moving on. I think there's going to be a point in this game where Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to win the football game. There was sort of something, an instance like that last game with the pack against the Packers where he made some throws on early downs, but on third and seven when they needed the first down to keep extending the drive, the game-winning drive, what did they end up doing? They handed the ball off to Debo Samuel. They took the ball out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. I think there's going to be a point in this game where Garoppolo is going to have to do something to win them the game, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. The keys for the Rams obviously limit Debo and Kittle somehow. Um, The game that at the end of the year, um, Mitchell, 85 yards on the ground. Again, I'm a little concerned about what he can do, but Debo Samuel, 45 yards on the ground and then 95 yards catching, over 100 total yards um, pretty comfortably. they got to slow him down somehow. I don't know how they do it. Um, And then for the Rams, offensively, just have Matthew Stafford not turn the ball over, and I think they have a fairly good chance. And I get that's easier said than done because – The 49ers defensive line is very good. They're able to get pressure and force quarterbacks into bad decisions. But uh, just keep it simple for the Rams, I think, with the offensive game plan. Do what has been working for them all year. Establish the run. Have Safford with that play-action game. Work his way down the field. Hit a few big plays here and there. And they are able to win this game. Setting up Super Bowl being the Rams versus the Chiefs, which if that is the case, I didn't get every game along the way, but if you go back to the podcast I did before the NFL playoffs, I did predict that matchup. I would be calling myself a liar if I did anything different now that my two teams are still able to make it, so I stick by that, the Rams against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. The Rams get the win against the 49ers on Sunday. That does it for Conference Championship Week in the NFL. We now go to our week-long preview for the week ahead in college basketball. I am recording this on Thursday, so I'm going to start with the Thursday matchups. Ohio State goes to Minnesota. Ohio State hasn't played um, a basketball game in a week. I get that's not like a crazy long let-off, but they've missed 
a stretch of time earlier this year with COVID. Um, then Nebraska has to cancel last minute. They missed some more time. They've not been really in a rhythm um, game-wise. They haven't played a bunch lately. Ohio State is favored by 6.5. I think Minnesota covers that at least. I think it's going to be a pretty good game, but I think Ohio State can escape Minnesota. They've had troubles there in the past at Minnesota, but um, again, I do think they can win, but it will not shock me this being a close game. Um, Then we have Purdue, six in the country, going to Iowa. I think Iowa is going to be able to give them a bit of trouble. Um, I am going to go with Iowa in this one. Um, Keegan Murray averaging 22 points on the year. I think he has a big game for them tonight, and they end up getting it done. On Saturday, a ton wall-to-wall action of good games. The SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, Kentucky goes to Kansas. Kentucky coming off the loss last week on last Saturday to Auburn at Auburn. Um, losing Ty Ty Washington. Then, nearly escaping Mississippi State earlier in the week. Uh, Kansas getting by the skin of their teeth earlier this week against Texas Tech. Those two games are not the same. They're not comparable. Um, I've had a bit of a realization about this Kentucky team as a Kentucky fan. Um, Kentucky is going to beat the teams they're supposed to beat, and they're going to lose to the teams they're supposed to lose to. And unfortunately, it just seems like this is a team that they're supposed to lose to, so I am going to go with Kansas. Um, not in the in the Big 12 SEC challenge, but Duke comes to UofL, UofL's first game with the uh, interim head coach. As I mentioned in Jared's uh, question earlier, and I can just talk a little bit about that now, I, uh, I feel bad for Chris Mack. He came into a difficult situation with a ton of expectation, and no one, absolutely no one could have predicted how this all would have transpired and he would be gone by now. Um, I feel bad for him. It's just when you only make one NCAA tournament and you lose in the opening round of that, it just, it sort of seals your fate. And when you have a year like you're having right now, um, it's just not going to happen. I listed some potential candidates as well for them. Again, I don't think Pearl's going to be it. I think Kenny Payne needs to be Top of mind, Musselman potentially from Arkansas as well. Um, But, again, feel bad for Chris Mack. As a UK fan, I take some enjoyment seeing UofL struggle like they have. But UofL fans, you have this slant now where you're going to have this new shiny toy with the head coach and you're going to be able to say, well, watch this, watch this, watch this. You really have just like two years, a year and a half, two years of like carte blanche to be just super confident and arrogant because like this first year, the rest of this year, whatever, but you have that dangling over of like, well, we can get this guy, we can get this guy, and you can talk all the candidates up. Then once you get the candidate and you get the head coach, even if he's bad his first year, well, it's his first year, like who cares, like whatever, just wait till he gets his own guys in there. Then after that year and a half, two years, when it's his guys in there, then that's when you got to start worrying a little bit. But uh, if he's not performing, but up until that point, you get this shiny new toy with the new head coach, and you have every reason to talk him up and uh, feel good about it. Uh, continuing on though, 
the game Saturday, Duke is going to kill U of L. Um, unfortunately for all the card fans out there, a big game in the Big Ten. Michigan goes to Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State is going to win that game. Oklahoma goes to number one Auburn. Auburn, I think, gets the win in that one. Number four Baylor goes to Alabama. Alabama having an extremely up and down year, but they do get the win here on Saturday. A big, big win that is going to help their tournament resume. They are in desperate need of a big quality, solid win like this. They do get it Saturday. Um, A game in the Big East that probably flying under the radar a little bit. Marquette, 22 in the country, goes to Providence, 17th in the country. Um, Durham for Providence, sitting there at 13 points a game. And then um, sitting for Marquette, Lewis, Justin Lewis, 16 points a game. I think Providence ends up winning that game against Marquette. Continuing down the uh, matchups for the Big 12 and the SEC Challenge, we have Tennessee going to Texas. No clue what you're going to get with Tennessee on a game-to-game basis. Um, Chris Beard needs a big win in his first year. I think it comes in this game as Texas gets the win there. Sunday, Ohio State goes to Purdue. Purdue is going to beat Ohio State on Sunday. Monday, we come back with Duke at Notre Dame. Duke wins that. And then West Virginia goes to Baylor. Baylor rebounds after their loss at um, Alabama. Alabama goes to Auburn on Tuesday. I think Auburn gets a win there. Texas goes to Texas Tech. Texas Tech, I think, is um, in that revenge spot here, obviously, with Chris Beard coming back. They want the win. They get the win. They beat the Longhorns. Wednesday of next week, um, Vanderbilt welcomes, uh, excuse me, Kentucky welcomes Vanderbilt. A lot of people are pushing as this is the game. Uh, Shaden Sharp is going to finally play for the Wildcats and everything like that. Sure, why not? I'm under the proponent that just fucking play him already. Get this narrative and this storyline out of the way. I'm sick of hearing about it. Just play him. Um, but Kentucky should win that, obviously. And then Wisconsin, number 11th in the country, goes to Illinois. If Illinois can get Coburn back by then, I think they're able to beat Wisconsin pretty handedly on that one. And then we'll get to next Thursday's game um, next week. That is going to do it for episode 99 of Carson Sack Podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in. Before I get out of here, I have not said this on this episode yet, and I need to get it out of the way. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that good shit on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you may get your podcasts from. It helps me out a bunch, and it is very, very, very much appreciated. Um, thank you again for tuning in to episode 99 we are almost at 100 could not ever imagine i was going to do 100 of these when i first started this i will get on my soapbox and get sappy next week for episode oh well it'll be two weeks it'll be before the super bowl so there will not be an episode next week but there will be a super bowl preview episode um with maybe some guests i haven't reached out to him yet but if i uh if i think i know him like i think i know him they're going to be on. So, without further ado, thank you for listening to episode 99 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be seeing you.